So let me read Acts chapter 7, verses 17 through 36. So I'll read 20 verses. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, he came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his brother wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would educate us with this testimony of Stephen uh, as he was about to get stoned, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our minds to understand what it is that you would uh, tell us by the power of your word and spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That was a lot to read, and I hope you could pay attention and stay focused while it was being read, but I don't expect you to be able to answer this question that I ask rhetorically. But there is a word here that's mentioned three times, and I think it gives meaning not only to this text, but pretty much to all of Moses' life. It is, I think, a word that God had planned into Moses' life from the beginning of time, and it is to speak to us, I believe. Now today, uh, we're starting this as kind of a loose series. I have no idea how long it's going to be. We'll probably trade off uh, back and forth. And yet, really, God has put this on my heart, I think, this whole time in the wilderness for the Israelites. And so uh, we'll see. We'll see what comes about. But today's message is about Moses. The word that I 
uh, called your attention to that occurs three times. It occurs in verse 23, verse 30, and the last verse that I read, verse 36. In verse 23, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And then in verse 30, and when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And then in 36, he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. So what's the word? 40, 40. Who's 40 here? Anybody exactly 40? Nobody's exactly 40? No one willing to admit they're exactly 40? Okay. Well, Moses was 40 when he killed that Egyptian and then had to flee Egypt. But yet nowhere in Exodus does it say that Moses was 40 when he killed that Egyptian. Only Stephen tells us that Moses was 40. And so it's really, it's always been interesting to me how Stephen knew that. And can I trust that he knew that? Was this just tradition that led him to believe that Moses was 40 when this happened? Well, we know it is inscripturated here. Moses was 40 when this happened. So see, Moses' life is divided up into three 40s. It's very interesting, I think. The first portion of his life, the first 40 years, he lived in the privilege of Pharaoh's palace. He lived a very privileged life. Yet, he came to accept and believe that he was an outsider living in this palace. He didn't belong there. The second portion then began. He had to flee, and so now he's out in the wilderness for 40 years. He's made a life for himself. He's minding his own business when suddenly that 40 years comes to an end, and his quiet, humble anonymity is destroyed forever. He's no longer the man that he was. He can't hide out in Midian anymore. God has called him and claimed him. Then we have the third portion beginning, and so he goes to Egypt, he brings the Israelites out, and this begins this 40 years. How does this 40 years end for Moses? He dies before getting into the promised land. He does not enter the promised land that he was leading these people all these years for. Two people, plus all the young'uns, they get to go into the land that had been promised. And so this last 40 years is commonly referred to as the years in the wilderness. And I think rightfully so. They are in the wilderness. It's referred to over and over again. But yet, Moses had already been in the wilderness for 40 years, right? He had been in the wilderness of Midian. And I would also say that he spent 40 years in the wilderness of Pharaoh's palace. He came to understand that he had no purpose there in Pharaoh's palace. And it's only when he acknowledged that and started seeking meaning in life that he found it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. He did become disenchanted with palace life. And he wanted to change 
his world. He wanted to change the world that he knew, and he was in a unique position to do so. And I think Stephen kind of sugarcoats what Moses did that day. It's true. He saw a fellow Hebrew being beaten. But did that give him the right to kill, murder the Egyptian that was beating him? I don't think so. And so here, Moses commits murder. Now, let's say that it is an act of defense. He's standing up for the rights of this Hebrew. But what rights did that Hebrew have in Egypt as a slave? So Moses really overstepped his authority, and he knew it immediately when the next day he catches wind that everybody is aware of what had happened. He thought it was secret. But yet the Hebrew that he saved obviously told a lot of people. So see, he was thinking to begin his, his seeking justice with this act of violence. Yet God sent him away. He had to flee. He was going to be executed. So that ended Moses' 40 years of wilderness in the palace. He had to leave. God kicked him out. Pharaoh would have killed him otherwise. So then he en enters into this next 40-year uh, time frame. Now, I don't believe it's an accident that Stephen provides us all this extra information that helps us see and structure the life of Moses in these three 40-year segments, all in various wildernesses. Because he does this just before he's martyred. And he does this as he's witnessing Christ in the heavens. So see, at the time that this happened, when Moses is leading the, the Egyptians out of, of Israel, he's taking them to the promised land. He's leading them from that one wilderness through another into their destiny. And yet he falls short, right? He falls just a little bit short. Jeremiah is writing to the exiles 800 years later, and he says this. He's written a letter from Jerusalem to the exiles, and he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, Jeremiah wrote that to the Israelites who were living in foreign lands. Yet, we claim it for ourselves, don't we? We quote that all the time and apply it to our personal lives. Are we misappropriating it? No, absolutely not. Because, see, when we read the Bible and we, when we see evidence of God having a plan for Moses or Abraham or David or Samuel, don't think you're not included. It isn't that God has only plans for the famous people that are written about in the Bible or in the history books. It's not true. God has a plan for every one of us. We don't know what it is, just as Moses didn't know what it was. He was totally caught off guard that day that he had to flee Egypt. But yet God had a plan that Stephen would later reveal to us. So is it right that we apply this verse to our lives, that God has a plan for our lives? Absolutely. God has a plan for each of us. We know this in Romans. The New Testament is such a clear exegetical expansion of what is in the Old Testament. It doesn't undo it. It doesn't displace it. It just makes it so much more clear to us. 
So see, Moses lived his entire life in the wilderness, and he lived a life of privilege until he was 40, and yet that was in the wilderness. He lived a life of anonymity in Midian, and yet that was in the wilderness. And he lived a life of faithfulness for that last 40 years, leading these millions of people, and yet that was a life in the wilderness. So, Moses lived his entire life outside the promised land. So did all the Israelites that followed him, even those that entered it. Because we all know, and it's very clear from Hebrews, that there yet is a land that awaits us, the true promised land. Yes, it, God has blessed our world, and we want to be a part of that blessing. We want to take this world for Jesus Christ. Yet we can't fall prey to believing that this is it. This is not it. There's so much more, so much more. So, as Abraham did, we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Father, we thank you for your word that points us outside of ourselves, outside of our simple existence here on earth, outside of the pleasures that we enjoy, outside of the blessings that we receive, but yet points us to a time when uh, we will be fulfilled in heaven, when we will uh, need fear, sins affect no more. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, Moses is an example to us, that though he sought the promised land with all of his heart, with all of his being, he could not attain it. And you did not want him to attain it because you wanted us all to recognize that no one attains it. The Jews fell victim to that belief that they were in the promised land and they had it all, and yet you took it away. And so we pray, Father, that, that we would also not fall victim to this temptation to believe that this world is all that there is and that however good we can make it is all that we can have to hope and expect. But Father, as we come to the table, uh, please uh, excite our imaginations in looking forward to a time uh, when we are with you fully, completely, and we uh, exist without sin, without failure, without loss, without suffering and pain, without the weakness of this flesh that draws us away. Please be with us now, Lord. Strengthen our bodies, strengthen our spirits, and lead us into uh, your presence with joy. We give you thanks, Father, for who you are and for what you have done in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.